It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And the Orioles have won the game. They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy. They're jumping on each other. One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. And welcome to it. Thanks for being with us on Orioles Magic, the podcast. Brett Hollander, along with Jeff Arnold, for another edition of the program. And Jeff, great to see you. Brett, always great to see you and excited for our conversation today with Chad Bradford. Yeah, Chad Bradford, a sidewinding right-handed reliever, had a very long and productive major league career, uh, came over to Baltimore as a free agent. Also, his character, his likeness, featured in the uh, hit movie Moneyball. So uh, he, his legacy as a uh, relief pitcher, a non-closer relief pitcher, will last forever. He did it in an unusual way. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to get his take on some of the new rules that are maybe being put in place, such as the three-batter rule, if he's concerned about the role of situational relievers going forward. Because he was a very good one for a number of teams for a very long period of time. And as somebody that they weren't, He was probably wondering if he was going to make his high school team, let alone make the major leagues. I'm sure he had detractors uh, the entire way, and that'll be something that we'll get into him with as well. Like, you put up good numbers in the minor leagues, but you do it differently in in an unusual fashion, and can that end up hurting you? Uh, And did he find that that was something that he had to – how did he get past that? And was it just the numbers that eventually allowed him to take the next step and – pitching the big leagues or, or, you know, what was sort of the, the way that he finally was able to break through some of the doubters. So I'll be interested to talk about that with him, but a guy that did it in an unusual way, but a very successful way for a really long time. Yeah. And I think everyone's kind of path and trajectory to the big leagues is an interesting story and background. You know, he got a multi-year pretty lucrative free agent contract as a non-closing relief pitcher in a time that just didn't happen very much. I mean, it's pretty common now uh, for teams to do that. He was someone like Darren O'Day in style before Darren O'Day, and he was similar in production. If you look at the numbers, he had many good years pitching for multiple you know, contending teams, especially with Oakland. So uh, that didn't really happen with his time here. We'll also talk about an interesting walk-off win the Orioles had at Camden Yards back in 07 against the Yankees where he was the winning pitcher. But a lot to uh, chat about with Chad Bradford. And joining us right now is former major leaguer and a former Oriole for a couple of seasons. Right-hander Chad Bradford joins us in Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite. Chad, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Well, let's settle one thing first. Would you describe yourself as a sidewinder, a submariner, how would you call your pitching style? Uh, definitely submariner. Now, early on in my career, I was a side armor. Uh, when I first was dropped down uh, through the college years and minor league years, a little more of a side armor. 
but uh, through my major league career, the bulk of it, uh, almost all of it, I was a submarine guy for sure. Do you have any funny stories about when you kind of went to submarine and maybe something that went wrong? Because it's probably pretty difficult, I'd imagine, when you start to be trying to throw strikes from so low. Well, you know, I, I was dropped down when I was in high school. I was about 15 years old, and um, I threw strikes, but it was straight. So my coach said, hey, you're going to get crushed. we got to make, it, make a change, uh, which I did. Uh, in the beginning, I was sidearmed with the fastball. And I could throw a curveball at the top, but I didn't know how to throw the curveball down low yet. And so I would be fastball, sidearm, curveball at the top. Uh, but it was high school, so I was you know, able to get away with it a little bit. But uh, I do remember a funny story. When I was in double-A, uh, I was still I was a little bit below sidearm. And our pitching coach was Steve Rinko. Remember Steve Rinko pitching the big leagues through the – I want to say mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, maybe Expos, not sure. Yep. So I had Steve Franco, and uh, we're in double-A Birmingham. And he said, man, you know, you're big, tall guy. Um, let's throw a bullpen over the top. And I was like, man, I hadn't done that in years, but I'll try. So I go to the bullpen. I throw it over the top, and he says nothing. He's just sitting back like this. And I'm throwing breaking balls and change-ups and everything. And I get done, and he says, Chad, never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i'll stay so i have to ask chad i've always wondered this how do you throw secondary pitches from the side or down under i mean i'm trying to think about the mechanics and math of it how do you do it without a well, full demonstration look i'll tell you this uh the slider down there is basically a curveball over the top, but you just drop your arm angle. That, that's all it is. I mean, everybody says slider, but it's really it's a curveball. You spin it like a curveball. Uh, the changeup was a little more tricky. I really had to work on the changeup and, and get that grip. But, look, I tried to throw a cutter. I tried to throw a, a split. I tried a knuckleball, um, everything. And after all of that, through the process, it came down to fastball, slider, changeup. was all I could really master from down there. Um, it's not, it takes a long time to get those things, for sure. You had an extended big league career, but I'm sure because when somebody throws like you do, you're going to have doubters that, that don't think it's going to work at the major league level. How did you eventually prove them wrong? Um, I definitely had to continue to get outs over and over and over again. Uh, I didn't have the you know electric fastball that was you know upper 90s where um, you know pitching coaches feel like, hey, if he just gets to the big leagues, he'll succeed. Um, you know, I didn't throw that hard. Of course, I was sub. And so I had to continue to get outs at every level and show that I could, could do it over and over again, um, which wasn't easy because you had to be very consistent. Um, you had to throw strikes. You know, don't walk anybody. Don't give up home runs. And that was one of the big things that, you know, um, over my career that I tried to focus on. And Billy Bean even said it when I was in Oakland. He said, uh, you know, you can't hit a ground ball with the fence. So, you know, get ground balls. Don't walk anybody. Don't give up jacks and you'll be okay. And so that was kind of my philosophy over the years is um, no home runs, no walks. Let the rest take care of itself. You pitch in the big leagues for 12 seasons, and I want to get into a lot of that in your time with the Orioles. But also, you know, the theory always was, at least is what you heard growing up, that if you came from the side or down below, it's less stress on your arm, on your elbow, on your shoulder. Is that true, Chad, health-wise? Um, I would say maybe a little less stress on the shoulder. Um, elbow is the same, and it's even more on your back. Um, and it, it does put stress on your shoulder, but maybe it's a little less because you, you are um, down low. 
Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Art Howe stopped me in the clubhouse when I was in Oakland. And uh, this was about oh oh two, And he said, you know, since you're submarine, you, you can pitch every day, right? And I was a young guy, and I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said that, you know. But it's not necessarily true that you can pitch every day. Um, it is a little less stress on the shoulder, but, man, it really does tax your back, no doubt. What did some hitters say to you when they were trying to face you for maybe the first time or even a couple of times they hadn't had a whole lot of success? What were some of their reactions to the way that you pitched? Um, you know, early on it was, um, you know, where's the ball coming from and, we're, you know, having a hard time picking up. Um, you know, everybody looks for that little box where the, where the ball is going to come. Usually it's here for a guy over the top um, right at his shoulder. But for me, they had to look at the dirt. Um, I remember Kevin Millar telling me, he's like, man, when I would face you, I had to look at the ground for release point. And he said, that was so strange. And, you know, another thing was, uh, even though I was throwing 80, 82 to 85, I guess, somewhere around there, sometimes less, um, hitters would tell me it looks like it's, it's 90, 92 because of the deception and the arm angle and it just gets on you quick. And so that helped. You know, a lot of people talk today, perhaps because of the book and the movie and your role in it, which I do want to get into, that the Moneyball era created specialization in the bullpen or the, you know, the, the one-inning guy, the, the really good and importance of relief pitching before the closer. And it's just not true. You go back to you, and it really, you know, extends before even your era. But you did, and a number of guys in your era cashed in on some nice free agent multi-year deals at a time when, you know, one-inning relievers uh, were not – that were not closers, were not getting those kinds of contracts. And and you got to know one offseason, the Orioles bring in Chad Bradford, Jamie Walker, Danny Baez, all got really nice contracts uh, to not necessarily be that ninth inning guy. And nowadays you're seeing, you know, $10 million per year deals for some of those seventh, eighth, and, and eighth, seventh and eighth inning guys. Oh, it, it's amazing. Um, I, I look at it now and I wish I was still playing. Because um, you look at these deals that are floating around, but you know, back in those days, it, it was a big deal uh, that particular year because we're talking about um, you know Jamie Walker and, and Baez uh, with the Orioles, and then Justin Spire signed, and he signed first, and so he kind of set the bar that year, and we were all very excited because there was a group of relievers, five or six guys that were you know were all about the same. You know, I think Spire maybe closed some games a little bit early on, but um, once he set that bar, you know, we're all like, hey, we're going to do good in this market. Um, but nowadays it's exploded. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. And that's, you know, that's, I guess that's the way it goes. You know, 10 years before me, relief pitcher wasn't making a whole lot. And, and then 10 years after me, they're making more. So it's just kind of evolution. But uh, it has become more important to have a relief pitcher that can lock down those innings and you feel comfortable, uh, especially where the, where the game's going now with the pitching. Do you have any concerns about the three batter rule at all, which is supposed to be new for the 2020 season? Okay, don't get me started. You know that I just I'm totally against it. It's not baseball. I don't understand why they're adding all these rules. Um, I know the games are longer, but it's part of the strategy. You know, if you're going to bring a guy in to face one hitter, and you got that guy in your bullpen, and you're willing to burn him for one hitter, I think you should be able to do it. Um, you know, that would have affected uh, the way I pitched uh, in my career for sure. Um, cause there were times where I, I would get extended for a couple of innings, but there were times where I came in and faced like two batters or one batter and get out of something. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more for, uh, the pure game. Let's not change it. Let's keep it the way it is. Um, and if you love it, you love it. 
Chad, this is a random one. When you are having a catch right now, are you doing it from the side or down under, or are you doing an overhand, you know, over the top? Well, you know, I have, I have three kids, and, but they range in age 25 to 10. So 25, 20, and 10. My oldest son, um, he, he had his career. So we, we throw a little bit, but I'm, I'm mainly throwing my youngest son who's 10 years old. And it's almost every day. And so uh, I start off over the top, you know, make sure he's, he's the ball running in a little bit. Um, but for the most part now, um, I'm throwing over the top because I'm throwing BP to 10-year-olds now. I don't, I don't want to hurt their confidence, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hard enough to hit a, you know, for a 10-year-old to hit over the top at 75, 80 miles per hour, I'm guessing. To do it from the side would be unfair. <laughs> you know, every now and then I'll drop down and throw one. The kids are, ooh, what was that? Do it again, Coach Bradford. But, you know, hey, I can't do too many because something will break. Something will go wrong. The back, the knees, the whatever, elbow. Um, it's rough getting older. When you were with the A's and it's the Moneyball era and all those people are coming in and they're maybe providing you information that you've never gotten previously, uh, what was some of your reactions to that? Um, you know, early on with that um, – you would, I mean, I know Rick Peterson was my pitching coach in Oakland, and um, he was kind of ahead of the curve with a lot of this. Um, and so I kind of tried to absorb all that information because I needed that. Um, I needed as much information as I could get because I was not overpowering. I needed every advantage I could possibly get. And so he kind of tailor-made my, uh, say, pitch sequence or, uh, you know, how I faced hitters, my plan, uh, righties and lefties and how we're going to face them and how to pitch them up and in or down and away or – uh, soft and hard and all that. Um, so I pay attention to as much as I can. There's much more information now than there was when I was coming through. I remember um, early on, it was just watching video. If you watched video, man, you were ahead of the curve, you, you know, but that was way back. Um, and now there's so much out there. I can imagine uh, being in a big league clubhouse and all the information that's being thrown at you. Chad, your likeness is in the movie Moneyball. Do you remember the actor who played you? Yes, uh, Casey Bond. Um, actually, Casey came through Jackson uh, about a year and a half ago, sh uh, gave me a call and said, hey, you want to meet for coffee? And so I went and we, we had a nice long couple hour conversation and um, talked about the movie and talked about his career and he's doing well. And it's funny you brought that up because we actually had a chance to, to meet in person um, a little while back. Cool. It's really cool. When you saw the final product, did it resemble what it was like in Oakland? Um, I think overall it was pretty close. There were a lot of small details that were off. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't pay for our our sodas out of the uh, out of the machines. You know, they were they were free. Um, <laughs> that was one part I was like, we to pay. You know, um, and I will say there was a part in spring training where I threw a pitch over the catcher's head by like 15 feet. That never happened. Okay. Strike that. Never happened. <laughs> um, there were a few small things that were off. Um, but I will say the one thing that I, that kind of bothered me a little bit was our Howe was a really, really nice man. Our Howe was a great guy. He, I mean, I love playing for him and the movie made him kind of seem, um, a little different than that. Um, and so uh, that was the only part I was like, ah, you know, Art wasn't that way. Um, he was just, he was a good manager, took care of his players, loved his guys. Um, but other than that, I think the, you know, the basis of the movie was, was pretty close. What kind of, uh, what was your relationship like with Billy Bean? Did you have one Great. as a player general manager? 
Yeah, great. Um, Billy was always, I always felt like he was on my side. Um, I remember there was a, a time in 04 where I was kind of struggling a little bit, um, still getting plenty of ground balls, and but they were finding holes, and um, my numbers were inflated. And we were in Anaheim, and he pulled me aside. He said, man, stop worried. He said, I can tell you're worried right now. You're, you're kind of panicking, you know. He said, you're fine. You're getting ground balls. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the same old, hey, you can't hit a ground ball over the fence. Uh, there's no home runs coming from a ground ball, so keep doing what you're doing and keep plugging away. You're going to be fine. We're happy with you. And it gave me that confidence to go, hey, the GM's telling me that. I can relax and go pitch. Uh, because, you know, through a major league season, you're going to have ups and downs, and you're going to have times where you feel like, man, have I still got it? Now, what's going on here? Have I lost something? And uh, he gave me that confidence to keep going. What was it like watching Hudson, Mulder, and Zito – because when, when, since you look at since the turn of the century, that's probably one of the best starting rotations that's been out there. Oh, those guys, I mean, they were young and they didn't know how good they were, really. You know, they were just going out there every five days and getting after it. And you had, you had different personalities. I mean, Huddy was a bulldog, man. He got after it. And then you had Zito, who was just a free spirit. If it felt right, that's what he's going to do kind of guy. And then Mulder was just such a good athlete. He could do anything. You know, he was one of the best golfers around. And he was just so talented that, you know, he, you could probably show him a pitch and two days later he's throwing the game kind of guy. Um, so it was pretty impressive watching those guys. And to look at Moneyball, it's like, hey, it was Moneyball. But what about Hudson Mulder? Zito? And it didn't say much about them in the movie. Like, those guys carried the team through. And plus we had other guys like Corey Lytle was there for a little bit, helped out. Aaron Harang was around. Uh, Eric Hillius, and there were some other guys that started, uh, Rich Harden. Um, and it was, it was a great staff. We had, you know, we had a pretty good bullpen there, too. But those uh, three starters really carried us. Yeah, I was going to say pretty good bullpen, too. I, I have to ask you about this, and, and I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, Chad Bradford, 24 postseason games, one earned run to a .39 ERA. Uh, Emma has to make you feel pretty good to end your career with a .39 postseason ERA with that many games? Oh, that was fun. That was my favorite time of the year. I mean, you know, you love pitching the big leagues all year long, but when you get to the postseason, that was fun because it felt different. Um, it felt like it's all or nothing. Uh, you got nothing to lose. You just go out there and let it all hang out, do the best you can. Um, in that environment, it was hard to do sometimes. But um, looking back, that was pretty special. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the one run I gave up. Um, we're in Tampa and played in the Red Sox in the uh, ALCS. And I leave a runner at third. And uh, I come out of the game and Dan Wheeler comes in. And I think he throws up wild pitch and runner scores. And he comes back in the dugout. He knew. And he goes, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's on me. That's on me. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> I mean, he was upset, visibly upset. And I said, hey, it's, it's okay. It's not, you know, it's Let's try to win this game. Don't worry about me. But looking back, that, that one run um, in all those appearances, that was fun. You know, that was what um, – that's, that's the reason I was playing is to be in those situations. But it takes a little while to get accustomed to pitching in the playoffs. I remember my first couple of years, I think it was um, 2000 with the White Sox and 01 with the, with the A's. Um, and I was very nervous pitching in those postseason games. Uh, but after a while, you've done it a few, a few years. Um, you start to welcome that, and it feels like, man, this is where I want to be. You know, and I think that's when, when you feel like you can really compete at any level. And, you know, if it's the playoffs, it doesn't matter. That's where you want to be. Individually, was there a hitter who was maybe really good that you 
enjoyed a lot of success against that you took a lot of pride in the fact that you were able to get this individual out pretty consistently? Uh, yeah, you know, I've looked at my, my son, my 25-year-old, he, he loves stats, baseball, all this stuff. So we look at a lot of stuff. And um, I guess it was probably Pudge. Um, oh. You know, he, he was great hitter. But for some reason, I think he only had one hit off me in, the, in his career. I don't know how many at-bats, maybe around 15 or 20. And so he was probably one Hall of Famer, you know, that for some reason I was able to get out. Um, and other guys, you know, like like a Jeter. Um, I, I got Jeter out, but he got me a few times. And A-Rod's the same way, and Manny and all these other guys. But um, for some reason I had good numbers against, against Pudge. Um, but those guys that are Hall of Fame guys or borderline Hall of Fame guys, you know, they're hard to get out. I mean, those guys, you know, consistently, if Manny wanted to hit that day, you couldn't get Manny out. It just depended on if Manny was, was locked in or not, you know. And so uh, it, was, it was fun looking back and, and thinking about the guys you faced. And we were uh, reminiscing about a, a game you actually were the winning pitcher, end of the season, uh, Yankees are in town trying to win a division title. But because the Orioles beat them on a Friday, September 28, 2007, they had to settle for a, a wild card. You're the winning pitcher again. The Orioles uh, force a blown save from Rivera and then win it in the 10th on a Melvin Mora bunt single. Uh, do you remember that night, Chad? I do. I do remember that night. Uh, what stands out is when I came in the game with face Jeter, he hit a double in the gap. And then it was like, oh, it's a tie ball game. I got to go to work now. And uh, along the way, that inning, I think there was a couple intentional walks and um, bases are loaded. And I think I have to get two outs with the bases loaded. I know the last hitter I faced was Giambi with the bases loaded. And um, that is not a fun thing to do because I, mean, I play with Giambi and he can, he, can, he can hit. And so somehow I wiggle out of that. But the craziest part was uh, Melvin dropping the bunt down. There was two outs, right? Bases loaded, two outs, you know. So I'm thinking, you know, he had uh, a lot of savvy there. Or either he was just taking a chance. I'm not sure. Was it surprising how much uh, your, your team had success against a guy like Mariano Rivera? Because from going back and reading a little bit about it, that was the second time where you guys had scored three runs against him in an inning during the season, which that didn't happen a lot in Rivera's career. I think it uh, maybe it came down to guys that had faced him a lot. Um, who got who hit? The, did somebody hit a home run that night off uh, Mariano, the twenty eighth of September, oh seven? I don't have that in front of me or anything, but it seemed like somebody went deep. Um, not sure who it was, but I think maybe in our Jay lineup. Jay Payton hit a triple off okay. uh, Rivera. Right. And uh, and I think that was one of the big blows in, in that uh, in that uh, blown save. Okay, okay. Um, I think it was just having some veteran hitters that had been around and knew how to face a guy like Mariano. Um because you think about on that team, you know, we had Aubrey Huff, he'd been around for a while, and Millar. Now, Nicky Marquecas was young. But Melvin and Tejada and those guys were older. Uh, Ramon Hernandez has been around for a while. Um, so we had some some veteran hitters that knew how to, to put together a good at-bat. And then I have to ask you, Chad, did your knuckles actually hit the dirt sometimes when you pitched? Actually, yes. Um, it probably happened – four five times in my career um and i remember each one of them because it was on sports center one time you know yeah he hit his knuckles on the ground and so a few times i would hit my knuckles on the ground the ball would fly up on the backstop like 20 feet you know something crazy 
because I would hit my knuckle and the ball would hit the, the mound and, and jump up. Um, but you guys, do you remember uh, Tony Batista? Sure. Yes. It was, you know, he was here. Big white stance. Yeah. So I did it. You know, he had the bat on the other side of his head, okay, for a while, his, his stance. And so I hit my knuckles on the ground. The ball goes above the catcher. He never moves his bat from here. He just watches it. And it was just like, what is this kid doing? I was young. But there was a few times it happened. But the, the one time that really hurt was I'm facing Benji Molina in Oakland. And I throw him a sinker. And I scrape my knuckle. And the ball just stays flat. And he hits a home run dead center field. That's the one that hurt, you know. But uh, it happened a few times. Not a big deal, though. What was it like watching a young Nick Markakis? Because he had a huge year in, in 2007, and then he made quite an impact in his, in his first year, the year prior. Oh, yeah. He was young, um, full of energy. And like I said, we had a veteran team, and he was one of the, the only young guys in the lineup. We had some young pitch, pitchers, but not the, not the lineup. Uh, fun to watch him and to see what he's done in his career. I mean, he, he has a lot of hits in his career. Doesn't he have more than – 2,500, I think. About that number, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, if he can hold on, he's, he's pushing 3,000 hits. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing what he's done in his career and the longevity. And uh, I, I wish – I hope he plays for another six, seven years and gets 3,000. He reminds me of a, um, of a Johnny Damon. I mean, Johnny Damon's got almost 2,800 hits, and he was that close. If we're, if we're saying 3,000 is a number where you're in the Hall of Fame, which I think it is. It's a lot of base hits. Uh, Chad Bradford, we appreciate so much uh, looking back, and you had an interesting uh, career, to say the least. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. That was great, talking to Chad Bradford. I, I think, Jeff, I've always been a, a sucker for this, and I'm not going to hide from it. I love the different perspectives of a baseball life and the different careers. I mean, here's a guy – who pitches in 23 postseason games, uh, pitches for 12 seasons. And he has this really interesting, unique journey in the game. And a really interesting, unique delivery, which was a lot of his success. There, you know, you, you think about Darren O'Day and what he's accomplished in his, his major league career, doing things in an unusual fashion. And Chad Bradford was sort of the forerunner to that and having the, the guts when, when he was in high school to make the decision. I mean, I don't know how I would have handled it very well if my high school coach came up to me and be like, you know, you're, you're going to get hit around if you don't radically change your delivery and then he went from sidearm to lower and lower and lower to sometimes his knuckles were hitting the ground but there was something about him that was so effective and allowed him to make a really good living and have a lot of success in the major leagues for a long time and you know maybe he kind of gets lost a little bit in the the shuffle when you think about some of those those A's starting rotations but when you're, you're thinking about Moneyball and some of the key pieces of those A's teams from the early 2000s you're thinking about Chad Bradford and he carried the success from Oakland and eventually uh, to Baltimore we had a couple of really good seasons. You mentioned O'Day who is one of the big reasons the Orioles I had five really good years in a row where they led the American League in wins from 12 to 16. A guy with a similar story, you know, not making his college team, finding himself as a sidewinder. He was probably a tick higher than uh, Bradford was, but uh, a name that I think some uh, older Orioles fans remember, a guy by the name of Todd Froworth. Uh, he might have been, if it's possible, as low or lower uh, than Bradford was, and he pitched in Baltimore in the early 90s. But uh, it's not 
something you see a lot of, but you can understand how, uh, especially for those who don't throw hard, it's something different. It's unique. It's, it's something that other hitters don't plan for uh, to face a lot. So when you see it, it's tough. Jeff, in your minor league broadcasting days, how many side armors or submariners did you see in the Carolina for many years calling those games? I would say probably a handful. Uh, Donnie Hart was the one that we had that stood out the most for me. And, you know, when I asked Chad the question about trying to battle some of the skeptics and how did he eventually overcome some of those challenges, even as he put up good numbers in the minor leagues, a lot of those same things Donnie Hart battled. I mean, he was going to have to go level to level and prove himself, and eventually he did. And when he got to Baltimore, he had a lot of success at the very beginning. But uh, there, there are a couple of different pitchers from other teams that, that I've seen. Uh, in fact, there was one who my first spring training radio game that I did, I remembered him because he was pitching for the Salem Red Sox at the time. And uh, his, his last name was Kelly. Um, it's, its first name is escaping me right now as I, as I talk about this. But he was somebody that was really funny is when he would come into the games, uh, he would come into Men at Works Down Under. So they would play the song because he was throwing from down under. And uh, now he's uh, – and, and, and it was just one of those things. Like, that's how I always remembered him. But as far as uh, minor leaguers in the Orioles system, Donnie Hart's the one that, that stands out the most to me. And he's had a monicum of success in, in some years in the big leagues. Yeah, one struck out Bryce Harper. Also, you, you almost never see something from the side if you're left-handed. So uh, that's right. really rare and really tough, I imagine – for a left-handed hitter. Uh, Jeff, uh, before we say goodbye uh, for this edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite, I do want to mention uh, the conference call. The local Baltimore media was on for Trey Mancini on Wednesday this past week. And uh, Trey was on the call. So was Orioles general manager, Mike Elias. But just, uh, it's hard not to be blown away by Mancini's toughness um his positive energy and attitude and his overall uh determination i mean i I don't know it's hard especially in these days to find something like that there's a lot of uh, very you know uh negative stuff out there for good reason uh, but you're just blown away by mancini we read it a few days ago and then to kind of see it for ourselves on that uh zoom conference call with something else he acted like he normally does he's positive he's upbeat he was smiling. He, you know, a lot of people I, I would think at, at that stage of it could be, could be defeated and, and asked the, why me? Why now? Because as, as young as he is in his, his late twenties, uh, it doesn't happen a whole lot. So, uh, and he said it in the piece that there's some times where he's, he's got his bad days and his girlfriend has to kick him in the butt a little bit, but there's still like that great energy that you got from him. And sometimes he can make you laugh. I mean, one of the things that he's doing while he's going through his treatments is watching the wire in the office. And so he can find a way to make you laugh and uplift you. And I think he's already inspiring those who are, are fighting their own battles with, with cancer right now, because as he's going through it, he's very honest and open about where he is in his journey. And um, he's doing everything he can to get back as soon as he can. But uh, for the time being, he's, He's given a little bit of hope and inspiration to, to everybody else. Well said and hard to quarrel with the office and the wire. Those two in the uh, high rankings of the Brett Hollander catalog, things I've seen many times and continue to watch on a regular basis. And uh, it's good to know, man, seeing he's got a good taste in television and uh, seems very optimistic about his baseball career moving forward, uh, whether that's in 2020 or 2021, and certainly dreaming of a day to trot out to first base or right field 
uh, in spring training or Camden Yards. Uh, and I, I think uh, we all look forward to that moment and hopefully we all get to enjoy it uh, together. But uh, Jeff, uh, to me, that was uh, really inspiring. And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I mean that in a very real and sincere way from Mancini this week. And his teammates are fully behind him. The city is behind him. The organization is behind him. And I think it helps, too, that he has a dad who has been through it. And his dad, in a, in a really touching piece that um, was out on The Athletic today with Dan Connolly, uh, talking about his dad saying that I would switch places with him in a second. But at least it's, it's shown, Trey, that it's something that's beatable. And as he goes through his treatments, he'll have his dad with him to provide support. And um, he's got a, a great group of people around him. And, and, every, and, I mean, everybody's supporting him throughout this journey. Well, Jeff, that does it for this edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast. Uh, you stay safe and well, and we'll catch up soon. Enjoy the partner. We will talk to you next week. All right. This has been another edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk soon.